I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is produced on Gadigal land. I think... We, as 40 and 50-something and 60-something or whatever women, have an appetite for seeing ourselves on screen and we want to see our own stories. At this point in my life, you have more to say, you've got more experience, your life is more textured and complicated. There are more women making the decisions now. And so I want to see stories that represent that. You're listening to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. Good women, great chat. Yippee Skippy, I always say that when I'm very happy. And I am very happy today to welcome to Short Black, one of Australia's most acclaimed actresses, Kat Stewart. G'day, Kat. Welcome. Oh, Sandra, so nice to be here. Thank you. I've wanted to talk to you forever. And of course, I fell in love with you when you played Billy Proudman in Offspring and then followed your career closely. Who's Kat Stewart when she's not Kat Stewart? Oh, well... Firstly, I'm very happy to be here, Sandra, because you've guided me through some of life's kind of most earth-sharing events. I'm pretty sure I was with you when, when the second tower went down. That's kind of, you know, one of those moments I'm sure has stayed, stayed with you. So yeah, thank you. I'm really chuffed to be meeting you and, and to be here. And who I am uh, is pretty much, I guess, who you're meeting now. I'm, um, I tend to play characters that tend to be quite forthright, unfiltered. If you mentioned Billy Proudman, she was certainly fits the bill there. (laughs) She sure did. (laughs) But in a way, I think acting for me is a great release because it means that I kind of flush out a lot of junk and access a lot of fiery stuff. And it means that I'm able to lead quite a (laughs) mild-mannered, quiet life when I'm not on set. So you kind of use it as a tool to explore perhaps suppressed frustrations and issues that you're dealing with in life that you can vent and journey through. Yeah. I mean, I hope I'm not that selfish that I'm just using it for therapy, but I do think that's a really (laughs) handy byproduct. But it also helps me understand humanity a bit better. You know, I I have the opportunity, and I'm sure you find this too with your kind of storytelling and finding out about people's stories. It's a great way to kind of try and understand us as humans a bit better, walking around in someone else's shoes, telling someone else's story. So that's something that I just find deeply fascinated. People really interest me and I love having the opportunity to really go into into somebody else's point of view. When you were a little girl, had you always wanted to end up where you are? I I grew up in the country in a, you know, pretty standard happy happy family. So I I don't know that I I didn't know about actors. You know, I we watched TV. We had our two channels on <laughs> TV, but I I didn't um it wasn't a job that I kind of saw around me. So it's not something that I planned, but I was always interested. I remember being really little and just the thought occurring to me, you know, I wonder what it's like to be mummy. I wonder what it's like to be somebody else. So I've always been interested in other people and I've always been um, 
I'm not someone who commands attention when I walk into a room. I'm, I'm kind of cool to, to kind of see what's going on and who's who. And I like, I like observing and, and interacting and learning about people. I remember in grade two, I had this great teacher called Mrs. McManus. And she would get us to, it was a little Catholic primary school in the country in Bansdale and she would, St. Mary's, and she would get us to act out stories, any kind of story. It could be a biblical story, it could be any kind of story. And she'd get us to act it out. And I was quite a mild-mannered, quiet kid. But as soon as that happened, I found myself warping the story so that I could get more to do (laughs) and kind of just enjoying it. And it was, I felt confident when I was, I guess being somebody else, just I remember it feeling really right in my bones from, you know, the age of, what was that, seven or eight. It must be quite a freeing experience. You can role play a whole range of emotion and opportunities. It is. I mean, I love being on stage. I mean, it's terrifying and stressful, but it's also thrilling to be on stage. But whenever I've had to do any kind of presenting gig, that might just be an award show or something, whenever I'm myself, that's hard work. But when I find... When I've got the lines and I'm being someone else, I find it incredibly freeing. I just love doing that. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. There's something about being someone else. So the transition out of high school to, you know, that first big break, can you remember what was the pivotal moment? Well, I did marketing and arts. I didn't do drama. (laughs) But while I was there doing that, I was doing psychology, which I found really interesting for obvious reasons. And I joined a theatre society at Monash and that's kind of what excited me more than the assignments. And so from there, I thought, well, I can't can't be an actor. No one gets work as an actor. And it's kind of embarrassing. I didn't want to tell anyone that that's kind of what I secretly wanted to do. So I got a job as a publicist at Penguin Books was my very first job. And I love that. But at nighttime, I found this three-year nighttime acting course. So I was sort of moonlighting at night doing that and working in a marketing department during the day. And I did that for three years. And then I had to make a decision. So I got an agent and did all the, all the things. And it took a while. Like I was working in independent theatre and supporting myself as a freelance publicist in publishing and film. I did that for a few years until I started getting enough work as an actor to, to support myself. What would you credit as your first big break? I mean, for me, it was Offspring, but I just remember seeing you on camera and thinking, whoa, like you just own the screen. You owned your character. Offspring was just so wonderful, wasn't it? Oh, I love that. It's a really special, it's got a really special place in my heart and Billy's got a really special place in my heart. So that's certainly been a huge part of my career and my life. But um, on paper, probably the first kind of break of consequence was Underbelly. I played Roberta Williams in the very first Underbelly and that was, that was, I can look back on that and see that as a moment that was very exciting and opened doors. But if I'm really honest, I think my first big break was joining a theatre company in 2002 called Red Stitch Actors Theatre in St Kilda. I was an active member there for 10 years. We would put on plays and that was the first time I was working. I wasn't getting paid much, but I was working full time as an actor and I was working on the best scripts in the world. It's where I met my husband. It's where some of my best friends are from. And that was, that was when I really started owning the kind of career I wanted to have and the kind of standards I wanted to hold myself to and the kind of actor I wanted to be, I I cut my teeth there. And after that, during that, other things happened. We've had 17 nominations for AFIs, Green Room Awards, actor, lots of film credits, and you talk about your love of theatre. What do you prefer? I love them both, but in different ways. 
there's something terrifying about theatre. Every two years or so, I, I make myself do a play and I always steal myself a little bit because when you're not doing, I used to do them all the time, but when you're not doing theatre all the time, it is a real gear shift and it's a real marathon. It demands a lot of you physically, especially with, you know, young kids. But I love it. I love the immediacy of doing a, a story in sequence and I love the relationship between the cast and crew doing a play. You become really, really tight for that period of time. And I also love the immediate energy and feedback of the audience. So that's really thrilling stuff. But I also love, I love doing screen work. I love, you mentioned um, Offspring and, and playing Billy. Uh, I got to do that for seven series. I got to grow up with a character. I got to become so close to the cast and crew. We all grew up together. We all had, I had two babies on that show. There's something about the detail of screen work and being able to evolve and see a character grow over time. It's kind of hard to beat too. I, I love them both but differently. So what fascinates me with that is when you are that character that evolves, say, over seven series, how much input do you get personally about what the journey is like? I mean, you play such strong women so well. And also, please don't be offended, neurotic women. No, I'm down with that. <laughs> I'm totally down with that, Sandra. <laughs> <laughs> How do you take it somewhere? Do you seek outside advice from those that may be objective with your character or does that come from scriptwriters and the production team? Or It's a real collaboration. It starts with the writers and they're the, I mean, they're the unsung heroes. Any actor will probably tell you they're drawn to really good writing and that's absolutely the case for anything you do because you're only as good as the writing. Mm. You can roll it in glitter, but, you know, it is what it is. So that's the inspiration. That's the jumping off point. And then I'm, I've worked with writers, sort of the same writers, quite a bit over the years, which has been a lovely luxury. And I know that they will look at what they're seeing on screen and go, ooh, Let's develop that aspect that the actors found or let's explore this dynamic between these two characters that we might not have necessarily planned. So I think it's very much a collaboration. It's something that evolves together. And also directors have a huge impact on where you go. And I think that's the great joy of it too. You're kind of inspired by what's on the page, inspired by what's happening on the day too. So I think my, my MO is to prepare as much as I can at home when I'm doing TV, I learn my lines for the week on the weekend so that I'm fresh during the week to just concentrate on the day ahead of me. So they're already there and they're kind of percolating in me so that I can be quite free and be really confident in the material and just see what happens on the day. And so my favorite thing in the world is to be completely surprised by what the other actor is doing or be completely surprised by the director who might have a different take on the scene to what I thought of. And then just to see what happens. And that's, that's the magic when it's alive. Are you someone that likes a lot of rehearsal or would you prefer it be spontaneous or does it depend on the actors you're working with? I think it depends. I think early on when, you, when you're setting up a show or a character, it's good to spend as much time together as possible, especially if, for example, on Five Bedrooms, Roy, Joseph and I, we played best friends. And when we did our first series of the show, you know, four years ago, he was 25 and I was significantly older and we were supposed to be best friends and we were meant to have all this history. It was actually, the character was meant to actually be much older, but he was so good. They couldn't resist and they cast him and I'm so glad they did. So we made a point of hanging out together and we got as much rehearsal together as well, but we also hung out and chatted on the phone and got to know each other. And I think when you're starting a job and you want to kind of create that kind of history, 
and that and make, making sure you're on the same page and you're in the same show, then I think it's really important. But after that, I think if you're really confident with what the show is and who you are and you've got that history, now it's Series 4, we're always running lines. The cast of Five Bedrooms, we're so good. We look after each other. And we always run lines together in the car on the way to set so that when we get to set, we're ready to play. And I think that's not all actors like working that way, but we've all kind of developed a great shorthand of working together and we want to maximise the time we have on set to, to play. Now, you grew up in Victoria and you seem to take most of your work there. You're a mum of two kids, happily married. At times it must be difficult because there's work outside of Victoria. Yes. I haven't really taken much any the occasional kind of couple of days here or there. Actually, this year I took my first kind of substantial interstate gig on a show called One Night, which is also going to be on Paramount Plus, which is just, oh, I'm so excited about. It's completely different tonally. That's a beautiful show. And that was the first time I've, I've been away from my husband and kids for a week at a time kind of thing over a sustained period of time. And that was, that's a whole other challenge. And I think that's something some actors manage really well. I haven't, but my kids are now 11 and 7. And I think, you know, they managed, they were fine. My, my husband did an amazing job and always does. But that's something I'm kind of coming to grips with, that I might have to do more of that in the future. And I think we're at a stage where I can do that. I've turned down really great theatre opportunities for that reason. Being a mum comes first. It's such a tricky thing, isn't it, too, because I really do... I think that's, yes, yes, everything, every decision is made through the prism of, you know, your life. And my family is, I don't want to be away from them. I just don't. I'm not happy away from them. But I really do love my work. So I'm going to be more open to to looking at interstate jobs, you know, that are manageable moving forward. Yeah, because I think women can take a back seat with their careers for their kids to everybody's detriment. Do your kids know how famous you are in Australia? No, no, not at all. And I don't think of myself as famous either because it's quite separate to my my day-to-day life. It's kind of in a little capsule. When I'm working, it is very intense and I clear the decks and I do kind of make sure that I've got the time cleared out over the weekend to learn my lines for those hours that I need. But then I'm here and then I'm absolutely with them and I, I don't, I'm not, yeah, I don't think... People don't think I'm famous either. Like I just, I just, I just potter around. It's not what drives you, and that's uh, you know not the end game. So if it's a consequence, so what? Yeah, no, it's lovely. I don't, don't don't get me wrong. I love I love it when people have liked something, and I love it when they stop. If if I get stopped and you know told that, that just makes that makes my day. That's lovely. But um, it doesn't happen that much. I'm really I just go about my business. In the fame game, you would be a publicist's dream, having been one yourself. We see Hollywood superstars on the promotional junket tour to talk up whatever they're doing and they just get annoyed at having to say the same thing. What's your view? How do you respond when you see that behaviour? Oh, look, I think it's a very different system over there. I've not worked in the US. But, yeah, certainly with my background as a publicist in my early 20s, it's really important, (laughs) you know, and it's really important that people know about the show. And I... Like everyone, I'm doing work I believe in because it does take me away from my family. So if I've done it, I want people to see it and I want to back it. So I think it's really important that you support the work you do. And it's also contractually obliged, no less. But also I just believe it's the right thing to do. And also I understand how much work goes into setting up something like this. There would have been several people involved in making today happen even 
So don't be late and don't be rude. And, you know, it doesn't have to be unpleasant. You know, you get to meet great. I'm excited to meet Sandra Sully. <laughs> You're very kind. I always say, though, manners are free, but they take you a long way. They're the small things that make a big difference. Totally. Absolutely. Let's do a pulse check on the industry. As a 50-year-old woman, not to put too fine a point on it, but let's just say in a, what's the right term, in a flourishing chapter of your career, do you think there's enough opportunities for 40, 50-plus women? It's getting better. It's definitely getting better. And maybe it's because I am drawn to those projects. I just finished a terrific Irish show called Bad Sisters with, you know, a great range of women, age range of women. One of my favourite performances in recent times was Laura Linney in Ozark, and she comes with her own face. It's so exciting. There are better roles all the time, and I think we as 40 and 50-something and 60-something or whatever women have an appetite for seeing ourselves on screen, and we want to see our own stories. There are more women making the decisions now, so it's not just about... In the old days, you know, there was a lot of men casting young women they wanted to sleep with, and that's, you know... I'm glad that that's not the case so much anymore. And um, I'm interested in seeing at this point in my life, it's great being young too. Don't get me wrong. I love being younger as well, but you have more to say. You've got more experience. Your life is more textured and complicated. And so I want to see stories that represent that. So it just makes sense to me and it makes economic sense to make material that interests and reflects our lives. And I think it's happening, which is great. It wasn't that long ago that we interviewed Bruna Papadrat and uh, she talked about portraying more older women on screens, not just in Australia but globally. Mm. She also acknowledged that a lot of women still have to adjust. We all know we get older, but when you see yourself writ large as that older person, you still have to come to terms with it at some point. Has that been an issue for you? It's always a shock when I do ADR, which is if there's something gone wrong with the microphone or the sound or for clarity or whatever, you go back into the booth after the, the initial cut and you revoice some bits. There's usually, you know, 10 minutes to do a 10-minute session per episode of something. And that's when I first see myself. It's when it's not graded. It's when it's really bare. It's when they haven't made it look any prettier. And it's, <laughs> it's a combination of, oh, my God, did I really pull that face or, or did they use that angle or what? But it's confronting, you know. And I think we all feel that way when we see ourselves in an unflattering photo or, you know, it's confronting. And sometimes I think, oh, that's me, but I'm five years older than I realise, you know, because when you look at yourself in the mirror, you're doing your mirror face, you're not doing your expressive face. I mean, it's confronting for all of us. I remember watching the Friends reunion. Those guys are all kind of frozen in the 90s and early 2000s for us. And then to see them 20 years later, I mean, they're, all, they're great, they're fantastic, and I love them all but they're older than, than they were when we were watching the episodes. And it's kind of, I think we all find it confronting because it reminds us of our own mortality. Mm. But we suck it up. I mean, what are the alternatives? I know. <laughs> we either get older or we die. You know, it's a privilege to get older. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm vain. I'm as vain as the next person. But, yeah, you just got to get on with it, haven't you? I want to see women my age and older on screen. And so I want to be part of that too. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I love the fact that you portray really raw, vulnerable, strong, successful, interesting women. And we need to continue to see women of all ages and ethnicities and sizes and shapes to remind us all that the journey is what it's all about. When I look at your journey, your mother died of pancreatic cancer in 2015. To lose a mother so young. Mum died in 2015 and that was a big deal because she was my best friend. For anyone who's had any exposure to, to cancer and some cancers are kind of more aggressive than others and pancreatic cancer is a doozy because usually by the time they've found it, it's, it's got you. And the outlook for someone is, so it's usually three to six months is all you get usually, and she got four and a half. So she was right bang in the, in the middle. The week we found out we knew it was terminal and inoperable, we found that out the week after we found out I was pregnant with my second child. So that was a big time. But really there's something about, and I'm so glad I got my dad because I still lean very much into him and we're very close, closer if anything since mum's gone. There's something about losing a parent which forces you to be a grown-up yeah. because you can't, <laughs> You're not someone's child in the same way. So it was very formative. And I, I was very lucky. I was about to start a job and they very kindly let me excuse myself from it. And I got to be with mum every day. And that was just precious, really precious. I mean, we had the big, we had the big conversations. We, nothing was left unsaid. And, um, and then I was with mum when she died, which was a really, which was a privilege. And then three and a half months later, I was in a hospital having my little girl who mum named. That was a really um, intense time and, and a very sad time, but also a really happy time with my daughter. She kind of buoyed us, I think. And also my, my husband's mother died three months before my mum as well. So there was a lot going on. But I just think it made me grow up. It gives you a bit of perspective, I guess. And we all, like it's, we're, it's what can happen to us all, really. I, I just... I'm not unique and I've got, I've got friends that lost their parents under 10. So I'm, I'm very lucky. You say you're really close to your dad, Tony, and yes. he's your hero. We both share the journey of going on the series, Who Do You Think You Are? Yes. I loved it. What about you? Uh, yeah, I did. I did. I did it. I think it ran 2021, but I did it before COVID. Maybe it was 2019. I loved it. That was another experience that was quite, did you, I found it quite profound in terms of, you know, the circle of life and just what, what's it all about? Did you find that? Absolutely. And the secrets. Yeah. They're not really secrets. It's just stuff you didn't know. And it helps you um, put the puzzle together a little bit more. Yeah. It helps you understand a bit more about, you know, why you are the way you are and all your parents were the way they were or are. Yeah. It gives you, I think it, I got a lot of compassion out of it. And also um, I looked at, my ancestors, because I was, the temptation was to judge them. You can't. And I guess that's something that we're constantly reminded of. You know, we talk about cancel culture and that sort of thing. I had to look at my ancestors and the decisions they made in the context of the time. That was an important lesson for me to learn too. But I, yeah, I, I loved it. 
yeah, I didn't feel the need to judge. I think you do check yourself. Mm. But somehow it made sense of the value system I have because yes, those are sort of unconsciously passed through generations, I think. You know, there's just a reason why the family has a view about certain things or a response or a reaction and that kind of made a lot of sense to me. I am totally digging up your episode. I haven't seen your episode, Sandra. I'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed. Now, your dad quit his job and took the family on a year-long trip around Europe and you were just eight. Yes. How lucky were you? I know. And coming from a, a small country town where we all knew each other, which was lovely actually, but to go out into the world at that age, it was brilliant. And it really made us a tight family because my dad had always worked really hard and I don't really have many memories of him before that. He'd work, you know, he basically burnt out in his late 30s and decided that's it, I'm retiring. Of course, we ran out of money and we had to go back to work. But we did have that year or so where we travelled around and it was amazing. I did correspondence school for a time and then I got lonely. My, my older brothers kind of had each other to, to bop and wrestle with, but I felt a bit lonely. So I went to a local school and that was a great experience for me too because I had an Australian headmaster and he told everyone that Australians were really tough and incredible and so everyone kind of treated me with this respect I never had before. <laughs> Where did you go to school? Oh, so I went to school in London, a little place called, I think it was in East Molesey, right near Hampton Court, so a little bit out of London. And we travelled all around Europe in a camper van and then I had about five months at this little school and I loved it and I became much more confident there. And I think it's when I started my appreciation for our accents too. I'd come home and there was a real range of, of kids, different kind of socioeconomic groups. It was a little parish school. So I had a lot of a lot to work with with the accents and I think that's where that love of accents started. What's your favourite? I'm not one of those people that can just kind of crack an accent, you know, do 12 accents in a sentence, but I do love what it gives you. It happens more on stage than on telly, but I do love what it gives you in terms of rhythm and an attack for a character. And it's a really great quick way to lose yourself doing an accent. It just changes you, everything. My favourite accent, I did a Northern Irish accent for a play once and that was just so fun. Five Bedrooms has just started on 10 and Paramount. What can we look forward to? Well, the great thing about Five Bedrooms is the writers have so much fun just taking us in directions we never really expect. My character, Liz, has struggled with um, bankruptcy, infidelity, her sexuality, her career, and it, this series is no no exception. I think we've got the sexuality part under control now. But, yeah, they've just, they take her to places that I never expect and it's excruciating and funny and painful and great and um, I just love working with those five other actors. I just just love them, Stephen Peacock, Doris Yunane, Katie Robinson, Roy Joseph and Johnny Carr. It's just great yeah the cast are tight you can tell we genuinely like each other and I've been very lucky with all the pretty much all my casts I've ever worked with there was something about this one we just made sure we hung out a lot outside of work as well because we're not locals I'm the only oh now Doris is in Melbourne but there are two of us that live here and the rest fly in to do the show so we hang out a lot and it's it's great fun and a beautiful show to do how long does a series like five bedrooms take out of your year it's about four months yeah it's eight episodes and we've, yeah, that's our fourth series. It's been my favourite part of the year for the last four years. It's been a bit of a slow burner too in Australia, hasn't it? It's slowly kind of crept up on people. I mean, it's great drama and great storylines, obviously brilliant acting. 
Yeah, I I think that happens with um I've found that with a lot of a lot of shows I've loved that it's sort of I've someone will tell me about it it's when they're up to series three and so you sort of it's great then because you can really kind of power through and and really absorb it. So yeah, I think that's the case with five bedrooms too. I think we we did the first series was on ten and then we moved to Paramount. So I think it's a bit of recalibration, but I think people are finding it and it's it's great that it's on both. At least two series are on ten and the rest are certainly on Paramount. Do you sweat the ratings after that first episode? Is it something you worry about very much? I used to pay a bit of attention in the old days with Offspring because when when ratings actually told you how something was going, but now it's about catch-up, it's about, you know, all the other stuff. So I'm not even sure what good ratings are anymore. So no, I'm not really paying attention. I'm just trusting that they keep renewing us, which is great, and hopefully that's a good sign. And it's got a good audience overseas too, which I think is is a great help. It's big in Canada and in New Zealand, but also in the States and in the UK. It's lovely. And it's a great advertisement for Australia. Not in a we're so gorgeous, we don't have tops on kind of home and away, which, you know, great, home and away, great, great, don't get me wrong. But this is not a cookie cutter cast. These are the kind of people that the setup for the show for anyone who's you know wanting to discover a great new show is that you've got five singles that find themselves on the singles table at a wedding they don't have much in common. They would probably wouldn't even chat to each other, normally speaking, but they get pissed at, at this <laughs> wedding. And um, they, they're bemoaning the fact that, that you can't, it's so hard to afford real estate on your own as singles. And so they decide on a whim to bid on a place and they get it. And then they have to kind of deal with the fallout and make it work. How relevant is that right now with the cost of living crisis and the rental crisis? I mean, everyone can relate to it. Yes. But also in the world we live in, we're kind of having to manage our prejudices about each other. This cast is, you know, of different socioeconomic backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, different age groups. These are oddballs thrown together and they become this kind of de facto family. And at the beginning, in the first couple of series in particular, there are real flashpoints for them. We think, oh, this, this could go wrong, but it's kind of a, a little bit of a kind of a metaphor for for Australian society and I think it celebrates the better elements of us. Not, it doesn't smooth everything over but it's a very inclusive show and I love that it embraces that. It celebrates our differences, celebrates what brings us together and it's a really good representative group of people. I love what it says. The technological evolutions have been terribly confronting for our industry and when I say our I mean you as well but I equally think about the opportunities now that so much is non-linear. You know, you don't have to be in front of the telly to see five bedrooms. You can be watching it in Canada, New Zealand, Hamburg, wherever. Mm. How has that changed your outlook? Because your exposure has transcended the usual geographic borders. It's really interesting. Overall, I think it's magnificent in that I feel like the content we make in Australia has to be world-class. And I think that's a good thing. I think Australian audiences are highly sophisticated. We have a really sophisticated kind of palette because we're, we've seen the best in the world and it's the best stuff that we're hearing about, that we hear about through our friends, word of mouth or whatever. And, and I think we only benefit from seeing such great work from all over the world. And I think now we're getting to a point where it used to be that you'd, you'd have a great Australian show and then remake it for a US audience, like they did with Kathy and Kim, for example, which as far as I understand wasn't great. But now we've got shows like 
Mr. In Between, for example, which is a brilliant niche, you would think niche Australian show, but they love it overseas because it's so Australian. And I'm watching shows, I'm not watching the American or British version of the the Danish show. I'm watching the original thing. I think we're becoming much more sophisticated. And I think that melting pot is great for all of us. I think we're becoming more sophisticated and more literate in other countries and other cultures. I think it's great. What do you think it is about the Australian story that is unique? Is it just where we live or is it something else? What I love about Australia is we don't indulge in BS. We don't. You can't be inauthentic in Australia. We kind of just smell it (laughs) and we don't trust it. And I just think that keeps people really honest. I think that's great. And it can be harsh. And sometimes we, we cut, we're eager to cut each other down a bit. I know we do that. I know we can be guilty of that. But also we're really honest and that's what I love. I love that about it. I love that about our humour. Mm. I think our sense of humour is really unique and I love that. It is a point of difference, isn't it? Mm. What's the rest of the year look like for you? Well, this show I mentioned in passing, One Night will come out later in the year. I'm really excited about that. So I've just finished that in the last few weeks. Later in the year I'm doing some theatre. I'm doing a play that scares the living daylights out of me, but that I'm really excited by, which is kind of the perfect, the perfect scenario. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which is, you know, that, that great Edward Albee classic, and it's nasty. <laughs> but it's beautiful. I read it in my 20s and I loved it, and now reading it as a 50-year-old, I kind of see it so differently. It's kind of the heartbreak of, of middle age, and it's also a love story, and I'm also performing it with my husband. And we met in the theatre and we're going to perform it together. And we haven't worked together on stage since well before we had kids. So that is going to be really a big one for us. And I'm really excited. I did not know that your husband was an actor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we met at Red Stitch. He cast me in a play and directed me. And then we worked together quite a bit. And um, yeah, after a couple of years, we got together. But we haven't worked together since we've had kids. So this is going to be interesting. I'm really excited. If you both work in the same industry... Do you find that really helpful because he understands where you're going but also the insecurities that go with the industry as well? It's not easy. He certainly gets my psychology. The great thing about Dave is he's, I I had a no actors policy always. He's the only actor I've ever been with. So things didn't go to plan obviously. But, yeah, we, we do keep our work quite separate but there's an understanding of the challenges and what it's like to have a long day on set and all that stuff, which is really, really helpful. But he's very sane, which is great. Do you ever worry about work growing up? Oh, God, yes. Yes. <laughs> is that too big a yes? I found it reassuring, actually. Oh, did you? <laughs> God, yes. <laughs> I worry that every job is my last. But also part of me thinks that that concern keeps me on my toes and also means that I don't get jaded and I don't take it for granted because I have plenty of friends who are obscenely talented, especially in theatre, who aren't working right now. And so it just keeps me really grateful and I don't never phone it in. As soon as I start phoning it in or not getting nervous, there's a real problem. The question didn't come from getting the impression that you're overly confident. I just know that you've had this beautiful runway of incredible work and I thought oh, we're all wrapped with a bit of insecurity we all have days where we think like oh, tap yeah. me on the shoulder today oh yeah 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 totally totally in your industry you know you're so reliant on feedback mm. that's got to play into your psyche some days and you know, we all have down days and fat days and lazy days and 
imposter days, you know, where we're not really good enough or really should we be doing this much longer and when's someone going to tap us on the shoulder? Mm. It's reassuring to know I'm not alone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Even when I was younger and smoother, I am <laughs> always worried that, you know, this, this might be it. But I think that's kind of, that's just the life of a jobbing person, you know, in whatever profession you're in. Keeps you hungry, doesn't it? Keeps you hungry and keeps you honest and it keeps you appreciative. And I think that's really important because it is a massive privilege to do what you love. There's so many people that clock on, clock off, hate what they do, but do it to survive. I genuinely love what I do. Do you have a backup plan just in case? I think about it more probably because I think I'm, you know, the age I am, maybe maybe things are going to get really quiet. As we discussed, I used to be a publicist, but that world has completely changed now. Like it's all it's all social media stuff and it's it's just different. I'd be a terrible, I wouldn't know what I was doing now. I'm, I come from the age of, you know, faxes. <laughs> I used to fax my media releases out. So um, I don't really have a backup plan. I know that I'd like to try writing, but I don't know if I'd be any good. I think half the world was fascinated with the series Yellowstone. And the story of the writer is that Taylor Sheridan, who's written the series, who was an actor, he said he'd read so many bad scripts he knew how to make a good script. Wow. You know, your background is as a publicist, so clearly you can write. I'm sure you've seen a lot of bad scripts. I wonder if that story has resonated with you at all. I love that story. And it's Mike White's the other one. He did White Lotus and he was an actor, is an actor and a reality star. He's fascinating. I think perhaps my respect for good writing is so extreme that I kind of feel a little bit tentative about writing because... I have so much respect for really good writers. Mm. I don't think it's something that just anybody can do, but I do think it would be fun to play. I haven't done it yet, though, so I feel like I'm talking about something that I, I should get on with if I'm going to talk about. Yeah, maybe this is a little push I need, Sandra. Kat Stewart, you've been an absolute joy to spend some time with us here at Short Black. We're so looking forward to Five Bedrooms, onwards and upwards for your career trajectory. We love watching you on the screen and we can't wait to see more of you. Take care. Thanks again. Thanks so much, Sandra. It's such a pleasure. Thank you. You have been listening to Short Black, a Network 10 podcast. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe in your favourite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.